Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that the son was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrush and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it along the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done with him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket along the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw a child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call for you a nurse of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Luke 2, verses 22 through 33. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad you're here. Thanks for coming. It's been a while since I uh, told you that I love you and I love this church. Uh, so I hope that you love this church too. But thanks. I welcome those of you over uh, at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Uh, welcome. All right, today we uh, kick off a new series, a 10-week series in the Old Testament. Uh, every calendar year, we want to do a series in the Old Testament, a series in the New Testament, a series in the Gospels, a breathe-in series, a breathe-out series. The reason we want to do all of that is that we want to provide a balanced diet of the whole counsel of God. So every year, we want to preach a series on one of the major, on each major section uh, in the Bible so that we don't become like the guy who goes to the gym and only works on one part 
of his body becomes huge and then little tiny skinny legs. Um, we want everybody to be fully formed and a balanced diet. All right, so uh, this is our Old Testament series. And if you're not particularly familiar with the Old Testament, the Old Testament is to the New Testament what an acorn is to an, an oak tree. An oak tree is much more beautiful and, and much grander, but everything of that oak tree is found in the acorn. The Old Testament is the acorn. The New Testament is the oak tree. All right? So we're going to spend these 10 weeks looking at the life of Moses and the book of Exodus. And there's probably no better place to look uh, to see kind of the story of salvation, the way salvation works. There are other places where we can find it. But it's so clear in the book of Exodus that God is the rescuer. God is the savior. God is the one who breaks people out of bondage and slavery into freedom. All right, so we're also going to look at the life of Moses, and we're going to connect it to the story of Jesus, where Moses is like the acorn and Jesus is the oak tree. But just so you know that we're not kind of making these connections and fabricating them, I want to take us to two passages in the New Testament. Uh, the first passage is in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been crucified and he has just resurrected. It is the day of his resurrection. And he hasn't shown himself to many people, so there, but the rumor has begun to spread. And there are two disciples who are walking out of Jerusalem to a small village called Emmaus. And they are uh, talking about what had happened. They had heard the rumor that the tomb was empty, but it wasn't even on their radar that Jesus could be alive. And then suddenly Jesus is walking along with them and they don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus asks them kind of why they're so down. And they tell Jesus that uh, their friend had been crucified and they thought that he might be the Messiah, might be the one that had come to save and redeem, but he was crucified. And then Jesus says something that completely blows them away and should change the way all of us look at the Old Testament. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse 25. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What Jesus was saying is that the entire Old Testament was pointing to him. The Bible is one story with one hero, and that hero is Jesus. The other passage is in the book of Hebrews, where the writer of the book of Hebrews makes a direct connection between Jesus and Moses. And in Hebrews, uh, the writer is making a case for the supremacy of Jesus, and this is what the author says. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house 
has more honor than the house itself. So I think this is going to be a great series, 10 weeks of looking at the life of Moses, connecting it with the story of Jesus, who is the greater Moses. All right. We just had read to us uh, two passages of scripture, one about the birth of Moses, the other about the birth of Jesus. And here are my, my three points. If you are a note taker or if you just want to know where I'm heading, I want to talk about uh, the why, the what, and the how. The why, the what, and the how. When I say the why, I mean, why did Moses come? Why did Jesus come? And that's the why is the problem of slavery, the problem of slavery. The what is the need for a rescuer, and the how is the birth of a baby, the birth of a baby. Okay, first, the why. So the story of Moses starts in uh, chapter 2, but the reason for the story of Moses is actually given, us, given to us in chapter 1. In chapter 1, we find out that uh, the Hebrew clan with Joseph and Jacob moved to Egypt to escape a famine. And while they were in Egypt, they flourished. And uh, the clan multiplied and became a multitude. So much so that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, saw them as a threat and decided that he would subjugate them. So uh, slowly but surely, he made them into slaves. And that's uh, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Right, the whole story of Exodus is the story from slavery to freedom. But here's the first interesting thing. Whenever Moses goes to Pharaoh, he never says to Pharaoh, we demand our freedom. He doesn't go like Mel Gibson in Braveheart and say, freedom! Right? He doesn't even go like Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments and say, uh, simply, let my people go. Instead, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and every time he says, I have a message for God, from God for you, and this is the message. Let my people go so they may serve me. Always adds that second part. So they may serve me, so they may worship me. And that begs the question, what does it mean to be truly free? Because if we don't really understand what it means to be free, we will never really understand what it means to be in slavery, or maybe even recognize slavery. Right? Here in America, we cherish freedom, and rightfully so. That's why we celebrate Memorial Day. Right? We love freedom, but I think sometimes we have a, a fairly simplistic view of what it means to be free. We say, you know, my body, my choice, whether we are talking about abortion, vaccines, or gender. We want to say, listen, no one gets to tell me who I am, what I am, what I'm supposed to do. I am the, the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. 
But I think freedom is a little more complicated than that, and surely it is more elusive. And this is what I mean. You know, years ago, uh, I used to watch a show that was on called a Celebrity Rehab. And I don't know why I got into that, but it's a bunch of celebrities uh, that uh, were addicted to either drugs or alcohol, and they were brought into this house. And uh, there was a psychologist named Dr. Drew who would work with them to try to get them free from their addiction. And each week you would see him deal with different ones. And when the show ended, uh, I, I ended up getting uh, on the internet to try to find out what happened to my celebrity friends who had actually kind of kicked the habit. And what I found was that those who were now free from the addiction to drugs or alcohol, that they were now addicted to either food or fitness or sex. What was interesting to me was that the master had changed, but they were still slaves. The master had changed, but they were still slaves. When I was in college, uh, one, of our, one of my professors opened up a class by asking the question, when is a train free to be a train? And we were like, hmm, this is a trick question. What, what do you mean? And he said, when is a train free to be what it was created to function the way it was created to function? And somebody finally said, mm, when it's on the tracks? And he said, exactly. A train is only free to function the way a train was created to function when it's on the tracks. You take it off the tracks, it ceases to function as a train. Then he asks, when is a fish free to be a fish? And by that time, we'd caught on. And we were going, in the water? And he was going, exactly. And then he asked this, when is a human being free to be a human being? When is a human being free to function the way a human being was created to function? What a great question to ask a bunch of college kids who are experiencing freedom for the first time. Right? What would it be like to be truly free? If you can imagine being in the Garden of Eden, like Adam and Eve, before sin enters the world. If you were in the Garden of Eden before sin entered in the world, you would be right smack dab in the middle of the love of God and the pleasure of God. You would never be anxious. You would never go to bed thinking you didn't accomplish enough. You would never feel like a failure. You would never feel like you were not enough. You would never have that panicky feeling inside, you would always be at peace, right? You'd be functioning the way a human being was intended to function. But then Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They walked out of the garden, and we've been, we've been jumping from slave master to slave master ever since because you were created to serve. You were created to serve and worship God. You will always be finding something. Everybody has something that they use to try to make themselves feel okay. You will find yourself serving your children. You will find yourself serving your job. You will find yourself serving for the approval of others, for the idea of success. It, there is always something, right? And it's hard to recognize sometimes. You know, in the Old Testament, the people of, of Canaan uh, worshipped a god named Molech. And one of the terrible things about Molech was that he demanded a child sacrifice. That's what 
uh, the worship of Molech meant, that they would take their children and they would burn them to Molech, which sounds terrible, right? But when you are a slave, you will do things that you would never do otherwise, right? I remember reading a sermon by a pastor in New York City who was preaching on Molech, and he said, don't kid yourselves, New York City is full of people who are sacrificing their children for the sake of their job. I remember years ago when I was a youth pastor sitting in a luxury car with a father, and I was trying to tell him, listen, your son, your 10th grade son needs you desperately right now. He needs more time. You got to quit working so much because he worked all the time. And that this father looked at me in his leather seats and said, I do this all for him. And I wanted to say, you don't even know who your master really is because you're losing the one that you think you're doing it all for. That means you ser- you're serving someone who is making you sacrifice your child, and you don't see it. Listen, Bob Dylan had it right when he sang the song in the 60s, right? Everybody's got to serve somebody. You are serving someone. You may not really understand it. You may not know it. But the thing you know deep down is that you're not really functioning the way a human being was intended to function. You can feel that in your soul. And that's the problem of slavery. That brings us to the second point, which is the need for a rescuer. The need for a rescuer. So in in Exodus chapter 2, things have gone from bad uh, to worse. Right? It starts out in chapter 1 that uh, Pharaoh is threatened by uh, how many Hebrews there are, and so he decides that uh, he's going to make them into slaves, but they continue to multiply. So then he he decides on some kind of semi-genocide. He tells the, the Hebrew midwives that they are to, when they are there and a child is born, if the child's a boy, they're, t- they're supposed to kill it and just tell the parents that one didn't live. And the, the midwives uh, are two women named, Shu- named Pua and Shipra. We know their names. Oh, here, here's a little side note. Uh, Pua and Shipra, they decide to obey God instead of obeying Pharaoh. Here's what's interesting is that we know their names but we don't know the name of Pharaoh. In the whole book of Exodus, we're not told which Pharaoh it is. And my point is this. Don't ever underestimate how important your obedience is to God, whether it's small or great. In God's economy, you obeying him in any way may be more important than the president of the United States. All right? So Pua and Shipra, they decide, no, we're not going to do that. So Pharaoh then realizes that that's not working. So he makes it a law that all the Hebrew women, when, if they give birth to a son, they have to throw him into the river, the Nile River. And that's what prompts Moses' mom to get this basket and cover it with pitch, put Moses in it and float him out into the Nile River. Why does God allow it to get so bad? I mean, here, it is just terrible. Now, I don't know necessarily, but here's my guess. I think uh, the Hebrews' prayers changed. 
I think this forced them to pray differently. If I could put myself in the place of a Hebrew back in that time, I think at first my prayers would be for life to get a little bit better, for work to not be so hard, for the food to be more plenteous, for rest to be more available. I would just pray for things not to be so bad. But when they got bad enough, then I quit praying for things not to get so bad. I would start praying for rescue, for a savior. You know, I think uh, a lot of us, one of the ways that you know kind of that you may be enslaved and not truly free is when you're always praying for light at the end of the tunnel. Like you think of, yeah, I know things are really bad at work right now, but if I could, once I get through this, then when I become a partner, it will lighten up. Or when this happens, it'll get better. Or when my kids quit this kind of part of their lives, then I'll quit feeling so frazzled or whatever it is. But when things get bad enough, then you may cry out and recognize that you need someone to rescue you. That's why I think so many of us come to Jesus in the midst of a crisis. You know, uh, the last series, we talked about stories of grace. And we had many of you recorded your stories of grace, and you can sit out in this hallway, and there's a screen. You can sit on a little bench and, and watch the stories of grace. And there's so many that happened like mine. Like my story of grace is that when I went to college, I went to like a 13-month moral freefall where I tried to fill myself up with everything that a college student, that was supposed to make a, a college student happy. And instead of being happy, I became miserable. I felt empty. I felt alone. I felt ashamed. I felt terrible. So bad that I didn't pray for my relationships to get a little bit better. I didn't pray that uh, I would feel better about myself. It was a savior that I needed, and so I turned to Jesus, right? You will never be truly free until you are worshiping and serving the one who created you. You will never function fully as a human being until you have that freedom. There is no mistake that Jesus says in John chapter 8, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So one of the things that you need to be thinking about right now is how free are you? How free are you? And that brings me to the third point, which is how. And that is the question of the birth of a baby, the birth of a baby. I told you at the beginning I was going to be making these connections between Moses and Jesus, right? I'm going to give you two small connections and one big connection, right? One of the the first small connection is this, that Moses was born a Hebrew. He he wasn't a, a warrior from another place. He wasn't a rival king that came and attacked Pharaoh and let the Israelites, let the Hebrews go. He was born a Hebrew child. He was one of them. Jesus, the savior of the world, was born as one of us. He was born just like you were born. He was born a baby just like I was born a baby. 
You know, the writer of the Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. Jesus is one of us. The second small connection is this, that Moses had an enemy right from the get-go, right from the beginning. Moses had an enemy who was powerful, who wanted to destroy him before he could save anyone, right? And that was Pharaoh. Jesus, the moment he is born, has an enemy that wants to destroy him before he can save anyone, and that was Herod. That's what I want you to know. Your Savior has an enemy that is doing everything he can to set up every barrier he can to keep you enslaved to him so you will not be set free. But the big connection is this, that they were born babies. Moses was born a baby. Jesus was born a baby. When I say that, that's what I mean. One of my grandsons is uh, really into superheroes. There's nothing like having a seven-year-old into superheroes. Uh, He's got all kinds of action figures and everything. A superhero is kind of a different species. They're very easy to recognize, right? Whether it's uh, Black Panther or Spider-Man or Superman. I grew up with Superman. Uh, When I say that, I didn't grow up like with him in the same town. I grew up watching Superman. And Superman was just obvious. When Superman got on the scene, it was obvious what you should do. You should align yourself with Superman. If bullets are flying, you just jump behind him because Superman, you know, stood like this and the bullets bounced off. But Moses is born a baby. It's not so obvious. And so when he goes to the people that he wants to rescue, he says, I can rescue you, I can deliver you, but you have to trust me. You have to follow me, right? Jesus does the same thing. Why why is that so important? Why doesn't he just go and rescue the people? And I'm I'm kind of a serial channel changer when I watch TV. It drives my wife crazy. I watch three shows all the time. I'm just bouncing. I bounced around last night, and I saw part of the movie uh, Forrest Gump. And in the part of the movie that I saw, uh, Forrest Gump is in uh, Vietnam. And if you're you're unfamiliar with Forrest Gump, sorry. Um, He's in Vietnam, and uh, his lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan, uh, gets blown up. So he 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 doesn't have the use of his legs. And Forrest Gump grabs him, throws him over his shoulder, and runs him out of the jungle and puts him down. Like he saves Lieutenant Dan. And Lieutenant Dan, as soon as he puts him down, goes, I never asked you to save me. Why would you do this? I didn't want to be saved. And you're going, wow, what gratitude, right? I always think of, you know, in, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. And I always thought, wow, you know, the father had more self-control than I did. The, the father was a man of means, he could find out where his son was. He could have gone to the son when the son was in the pig pen, dragged him out, hosed him off, said, I'm bringing you home. But I think what might have happened right then is that the son could have said, I didn't need your help. I was doing just fine. Right? Jesus comes in such a way where he says to you, trust me. I can save you 
I can deliver you. I can rescue you. I can set you free. But you have to trust me and follow me. Do you see? Listen, if you are here right now and you are trying to figure out why it is that you are not functioning and you know you're not functioning the way a human being was intended to function, the way you want to function, the way you want to live. The first step is to understand the problem of slavery. You're serving someone. You're serving something. The second thing is to understand the need for a rescuer. You cannot rescue yourself. There's a reason that Alcoholics Anonymous is the most successful uh, addiction recovery program in the world. And they start out by saying that they are powerless and that there's a higher power. You cannot rescue yourself from slavery. You need a rescuer. And then you have to look at Jesus, who is the greater Moses, who says, you need to trust me. You need to follow me. And if you trust and follow me, I can bring you right smack dab into the the epicenter of God's love and God's pleasure. And for the first time in your life, you can experience true freedom. So many times when we look at Jesus, we think that it's a one-time event. Okay, we say, you know what, I accepted Jesus when I was 12, and then we live our lives, and we live our lives the way we want to live them, and we find ourselves enslaved over and over and over again and miserable. And if that's you, then what I'm telling you is this, that every day we have to wake up. I want to wake up and say, today, Jesus, I will trust you. I will follow you. Because you're the only one that I can serve and still be free. Otherwise, even today, I will find myself looking for approval, looking for success, looking for whatever I think, and that will enslave me all over again. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let it be you. You pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come to you. I I love that we have the Old Testament, and I love the story of Moses because uh, the story of salvation is so clear. So many times it's it's hard for me to recognize or to admit uh, that I get enslaved to different things, and yet it was so obvious here that the people who were enslaved needed to be rescued. They could not rescue themselves, so you sent Moses. Here I am in a room full of people who need to be rescued, and so you have come. I pray for every person here uh, that we would be uh, allow you to set us free, to find ourselves serving and worshiping you above all else, because you are a wonderful Savior. Amen.